So, how does it feel when you play Roll Up to Win with Tim Hortons? Buy a hot or cold beverage using the Tim's app and find out. Roll in the app for a chance to win prizes ranging from free coffee and donuts to a Universal Orlando resort vacation or a sweet car. Oh, don't forget the TV. And this year, every roll is a shot at a $1,000 daily giveaway drawing for two $500 prizes. Roll up to win and get treated by Tim's. No purchase necessary. Account registration required. 50 U.S. and D.C. 18 plus entered by 4223. See rules at rolluptowin.com for free entry of full details. Void in Florida and where prohibited. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is your host, Taylor, and today I'm coming to you from L.A. once again. I'm here at the W Hollywood, and I'm really excited to record with this guest, not only because she has an amazing story and I'm really excited to get into it, but also because we just chatted for like 20, 30 minutes, and I'm like, I love when this happens, when I follow people and then I meet them in real life, and I'm like, no, actually, like I thought I would fuck with you, but like I really fuck with you. Thank so you. welcome Alexis to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, you also have a podcast yourself. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? Yeah. So um, Recovering from Reality was kind of built out of a desire or a need that I saw in the world to talk about mm-hmm. mental health and addiction. Yeah. And I have a background in reality TV mm-hmm. too. And when I got sober, I decided I was never, ever going to return to the media space. I was like, it's a cruel, mm-hmm. cruel world. And I'm not interested <laughs> in being a part of it. Um, but I couldn't stand by. And I think really for me, and this is not to get crazy political, but, um, right well, also you did here. just have a story with <laughs> Bernie and Pete and I was like, yay, I'm so glad. Like when people actually post about politics, cause a lot of people I talk about politics don't. a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, um, really during the last election cycle, when Hillary was running, mm-hmm. I began to wake up. So I'm 28 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first time I ever voted f- was for Barack Obama yeah. and I've only known like you know, here was this kind of like hero (laughs) president of mine who legalized gay marriage Mm -hmm. and who started talking about our planet and the Mm -hmm. fact that it was dying and like all of these really important issues to me. And while he was still very much so a centrist, like I saw our country moving forward. And then when Donald Trump became the nominee, it was like my bubble popped. Like emotionally, as someone who's just an empath in general, Mm -hmm. like I feel the weight of the world on me on a regular Mm -hmm. basis, like what's happening in the Middle East and what's happening at our borders, like intuitively and in my heart, like I can feel that. And it takes like a lot to, and a a huge part of my practice is like channeling energy from the universe and not just using all of mine and burning out all the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I just was like, here we are. And I knew he was going to get elected. Because we live in a society that's just, it's just no longer sustainable to operate the way that we are anymore. And so I created this space for people to come on and be their authentic selves and share their stories. And so it's Mm -hmm. not just about addiction, Mm -hmm. um, but it's about overcoming whatever struggle you might have, whether it's having children with special needs or going through a gnarly divorce or whatever it might Mm be. Recovering from reality is a place for people to wake the fuck up to their reality and to get the tools that they need to deal with it. And so that's why I did it because I was just like stoked about, (laughs) you know what I mean? I was like, oh wait, here's a huge problem that I'm seeing on this planet. And like, how am I going to be a part of the solution? Yeah. 
So, yeah. It's beautiful. I'm Thank so happy you. that you have it. <laughs> and very similar to kind of what I, I do here on Let's Talk About It, too, of just like creating a space to be able to have these really important conversations and mm. to share our stories and lean more into our authentic selves. Um, and one of the, there's several things I want to get into uh, with you today, but I think the first is maybe just getting a little bit more background and hearing more about your story um, in terms of recovery and addiction. I don't actually... I, like I've talked about it very briefly on the show. Um, I used to do substance abuse rehabilitation when I lived in Baltimore doing group therapy and was something that I really thought I would go further into. Uh, now I'm just in, in private practice and focus more on sex therapy, but um, it's still a, an area that I think is, gosh, so important. Um, yeah. Substance abuse is, is a... Honestly, I don't even know. Like, I want to say epidemic, but it's like even more than that. It's like it's literally in every corner. Yeah, like you, I say, I I go and speak on panels, and I say, raise your hand if you are directly impacted by addiction. And there's like literally two or three people left that don't have their Mm -hmm. hands raised by the end of it. And they're lying. (laughs) (laughs) They know someone. (laughs) Well, in this day and age, it's like we view addiction as like the crack addict on the street okay and i can say that because i was one um (laughs) but but it's not like it is um it's work addiction and sex addiction gambling um food whatever it might be Mm -hmm. food restriction i mean there's so many different forms of addiction now and it's really Um, just numbing it's like trauma yeah so I own a drug and alcohol treatment center, Aloe House, and um, yeah, we've helped thousands of people get sober, and the mm-hmm. vast majority of them have very similar stories. They had early childhood abuse, yeah. most of the time early childhood sexual abuse, mm-hmm. and they turned to drugs to cope. And that yeah. was really my my story and my experience. Um, mm-hmm. What people saw of me when I had my reality show, Pretty Wild, mm-hmm. was a very small blip in time yeah. um, mm-hmm. and a very challenging time in my life. And what they didn't see was the before, right? So I grew up in the outskirts of LA. My dad was this big hot shot director of photography mm-hmm. who was working on all the huge sitcoms in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And he had an affair on my mom and they got divorced when I was three and a half. Um, My dad was an alcoholic. He was very manic. He never knew when he was going to have high highs or when he was going to have low lows. Um, And so that was really scary and unstable. And then... And you were an only child? No, no. I have um, other siblings. Mm -hmm. um, And there was incest that was happening in the home too. So Mm -hmm. between the age of five to seven, I was being raped Mm -hmm. And nobody knew about that until I got sober. I kept that secret forever. I was groomed really, really Mm -hmm. well. And for those of you who don't know what the grooming process is, it's basically when someone comes into your life and becomes like a confidant and someone Mm -hmm. that you love as a child and then they abuse you and it becomes really confusing because you don't know that the abuse is abuse. You think it's that person loving you. Mm -hmm. And especially as a child who felt a bit neglected at home because of what was happening in my family unit. Um, That attention became desirable for me in a weird way. Like I loved this person Mm -hmm. who was abusing me. And I mean, 
I blocked out the traumatic parts for many, many, many years. And so what ended up happening was my parents split. We were moving all the time. I had this sexual abuse that I had not dealt with. Um, And around the age of 10, I was to 12, I was like, okay, Hmm. I'm not doing well in school. I can't really make friends. Like I was in a constant state of fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I found substances Mm -hmm. and what a gift that was for me. It saved my life. You know, Um, I think we live in a very like puritanical society where we view like drugs and sex as bad things. Drugs aren't the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, the trauma that I incurred was the, was the problem. And for a very, very long time, drugs were my solution and it worked so well. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then it stopped working. Right. And then it became a huge problem. Mm -hmm. So I ended up graduating school two years early. I got my GED and I started working in the entertainment industry in LA. And before you knew it, I had my show. Mm. I signed with E June, I think three days after my 18th birthday, June 23rd, I believe it was 2009. Mm -hmm. And... I was so excited. My mm-hmm. sister and I, we'd been really hustling, doing all these music videos and just whatever work we could find. Yeah. And it's really a one in a million shot. You get your own reality mm-hmm. show. Um, and a month later is when the robbery took place. Mm-hmm. And that really changed the course of my life forever. So there is a common misconception um, in the media. And this is a thing that I talk about on the regular basis is the way that media portrays women. Um, I became the face of this thing that Mm. I really had very little involvement with Mm -hmm. um, because sex sells and it's way more of a sexy Mm -hmm. story, you know, that like this, you know, hot 18 year old, like robbed this, all these celebrities, which that wasn't the case. I had made friends with Nick Prugo, who was also in LA often. And I was introduced to him through my sister. And one night we were out partying and I've been doing loads of Xanax and alcohol and Oxycontin. So it's quite a mix, very powerful (laughs) conversation. I kind of, I came to in someone's living room and I grabbed a duffel bag and this is not to say I was some mother Teresa because I certainly wasn't, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I kind of woke up like, okay, this is a bad relationship. I'm in a bad spot. I shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. Didn't talk to Nick again, started filming my show in October and literally on the second day of filming, I was arrested. So my show, which was originally like about being like the hippie version of the Kardashians, I grew up in a home where we practiced Mm -hmm. Buddhism since I was a child. And people are always like, wait, all of that chaos was going on at home, but your mom was a Buddhist, like who believed in manifestation before manifestation was cool. And I was like, (laughs) Yeah, because she was spiritually bypassing. Mm -hmm. And so she would dive into her practices as a means to like band-aid the deep inner trauma that needed to be dealt with. And haven't we all done that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep, yep. She's not alone. (laughs) No, she's not. Um, So yeah, the second day of filming. So my show really took a turn and here I was this 18-year-old fighting a case on national television. And what people didn't know was that whole time I was addicted to heroin. Mm -hmm. And my drug addiction that started at 12, by the time I was 14, was Vicodin. By the time I was 
16 was Oxycontin. By the time I was 18 was full-blown heroin. And by the time I was the end of that year, um, shooting up on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And so it it just happened that fast. And then I got sober at 19. So it was really like a quick progression. Mm -hmm. Um, And the best thing that ever happened to me. Like taking that plea deal and going to jail was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be here today if it didn't happen that way. Yeah. Would you say that that's your rock bottom? I have a hard time with bottoms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because um, I think, first of all, there's a, there's a an association like that you have to, or an idea or belief that you have to have some major bottom mm-hmm. to get sober. Yeah. So people hear that term. Yep. They're like, oh, well, I can keep going keep now going. because it's not but that honey, bad. with mm-hmm. fentanyl-laced heroin out there now and pill presses where people are like making pills that look like Xanax but really aren't yeah. and all of the things that are happening in this uh, crazy time that we're living in, your bottom, you're always like mm-hmm. a smidge away from death. Yeah. It's really that easy. Mm-hmm. So I had many bottoms. What what kept me sober, because I didn't get sober that time. I got out like literally up until a year and a half ago as a twice convicted felon. Mm-hmm. What ended up happening was I got out of rehab and I could clearly see, or out of rehab, out of jail mm-hmm. that summer. I spent a summer in jail for that sub- sentence and I got out and I was like, okay, clearly heroin is a problem. Yes. Like this is a problem. Yes. <laughs> like weed and alcohol are fine, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. like, no, honey, you're the problem. It's not the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> like the yeah. problem is you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, oh my God, I, within two weeks I was back to shooting up mm-hmm. and I got arrested again because I could not show up to probation because I was panhandling on the street for drug yeah. money all day and I just couldn't get around mm-hmm. and I was arrested again. And that, that is when I started to have like over the next month and a half, a very, like an emotional bottom, mm. the drugs were taken away. Because I ended up getting sentenced to treatment for an entire year. Okay. Um, so the drugs were gone. And inpatient. Inpatient. And for that first month and a half, I argued left and right. Because mm-hmm. one, I didn't want to be an addict like my dad. Yeah. I had a huge trigger mm-hmm. around that word. I'm like, I'm not like him. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want that yeah. like label forever. Mm-hmm. And did you watch him go through treatment? No, he's never... I'm the first person in my entire family okay. to get sober. Yeah. And so... Um, and we can dive into that too because that was a huge awakening in the last couple of years for me, but yeah. I digress. We, I went into treatment... The first month and a half, I made every counselor, and now I'm a drug and alcohol counselor, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I know you little shit sitting <laughs> yep. in the corner. Yep. <laughs> I was you. Mm-hmm. Like, cool it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, but um, I just fought tooth and nail. The thing is, I was too smart for my own good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I would say things like... Uh, I didn't, I'm just physically dependent on this. Mm-hmm. Like I got hooked and without it, I would go into withdrawal. And so, you know, like, like I, I don't I really excuse, need it or want it. Yeah, or, like I'm fine like, without I'm it. Fine. It's just my body. I, yeah. Like it's just my body wants it. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm totally fine. Um, and then there was this 
incredible man who said to me, uh, Alexis, do you realize that like normal people would never put a needle in their arm and like shoot up heroin? Like that's not like a normal (laughs) thing to do. And his words clicked for me Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh yeah. And then I ended up relapsing on whippets in four days all three days I'll have nine years sober so a couple Mm. months into treatment I found myself doing whippets in this kid's car because they don't show up on a drug test and that was my emotional bottom where all of a sudden I just started bawling crying and I was like why can't I stop like why am I a slave like a literal Mm -hmm. slave to substances Who are you? How did you get here? Like, this is not who you are. It's almost like I got like a download from the heavens that was like, you're so much better than this. Mm -hmm. Like, you're just, like, you're this magical, empathic, Mm -hmm. sweet, kind, like, beautiful child. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? And the rest was history. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, I appreciate you being vulnerable and and sharing all of this. Um, I'm wondering what it's like for you even just to like reflect on all of this Mm. today. Yeah, I have so I mean, it's like part of your work now too. It's like sharing your story, but. (laughs) It's part of my work, but um, Mm. I think the stages of healing is just, it's ever changing. Mm -hmm. Um, We go through periods of like deep sadness and like reverence and, and moments of anger Mm -hmm. and of pain. And, um, the healing journey for me certainly has not been a linear one. I think, you know, in that year of treatment, I no longer attend AA, but I did for a long time and it was a gift. Mm -hmm. And, um, I still really live in many of those, all of those steps really. Um, but for me, it's like I have just this empathy for who I was. Like I used to carry so much shame around my story and I'd want to hide it. And even a couple of years ago, um, I was I moved to a very kind of like Stepford-like community because I had children and I yeah. wanted to move to the st- suburbs. And so mm-hmm. we bought this like one of those track homes that mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? And yeah. a gated community, whatever. And I found myself like wanting to hide away because I didn't want anyone to know my story. I didn't want my children to be affected. Mm-hmm. All of that. Um, well, it was almost like you wanted to blend in, in as a like way a survival be, mechanism, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But what happened was I ended up slipping into a depression that got so bad. I became like suicidal yeah. Because I wasn't like honoring Mm -hmm. my truth and my experience. And my experience is not one to be ashamed about. Mm -hmm. You know, I, when I lay out my life, it's like it, I can completely understand why that traumatized child Mm -hmm. turned into that addicted teen. Absolutely. And, um, so it's interesting, but there are phases. So I just wrote a book. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, the emotions of writing that book. Yeah, I can only imagine. Crazy, wild, Mm -hmm. like, you know, deep, deep anger and and feelings that I didn't even know were still there that came up. And so 
It was really this therapeutic process for mm-hmm. me to write the book. And I did it, you know, I self-published. I did the whole thing because I wanted to just write what I wanted to write. Now I still had to have an attorney mm-hmm. go through and like take out a lot, which sucked. But <laughs> yeah, it was worth it. And what I found going back to what I said, you know, I'd love to dive into that more was mm-hmm. I had this resentment towards my family that, you know, in, in my family unit, I was like the black sheep. The black sheeps are usually there to like light the way towards peace and freedom. They just don't necessarily have the tools to do it. Mm-hmm. And so everybody ostracizes them and they're always like the hardest one to deal with and the chaos maker in the family unit. An example of this is like when my dad would hit me mm-hmm. in the face and give me a black eye when I was 12 it was like, what did you do to incite yeah. that anger in him, right? So, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there screaming, it was like you were the problem. it's you, you fucking assholes. Like, yeah. it's you, mm-hmm. not me. Um, and so I had resentment about the fact that me as a child, like I was robbed of my childhood mm-hmm. and I when I got sober, the rest of my family started to get better, but it was on the weight of me. Like I had to be the one to present to them their chaos and it fucking sucked. Mm -hmm. And so I had this resentment of like, you guys have to do the work. Like, why am I always the one that's doing the heavy lifting around here? And what I realized uh, just kind of recently was that I believe at least that I chose these parents, that I was brought into this family unit to have these experiences. I don't believe there are accidents. I believe that like everything is divinely orchestrated. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just the same way the sun and the moon and the stars and the ocean and everything has like this beautiful, you know, um, interconnectedness. Uh, yeah. Like, so is my life. Like, it was all meant to be exactly mm-hmm. how it was because I wouldn't be mm-hmm. sitting here today without it. Yeah. So that was a gift and it's almost like it's a gift and it's like it's and so moving forward the way that you've been supported your whole life, you know, the rest of your life is going to be the same. Like a tree loses its all of its leaves every year and it's never worried like that they're mm. not going to come back <laughs> you know what True. i mean it's always provided for yeah and so when i realized that like it never it didn't have to be a burden anymore mm-hmm. that it could be a gift and that my pain mm-hmm. could be my greatest present you know mm-hmm. i started to really realize like okay i can drop mm-hmm. that anger around that so it's mm-hmm. it's not been like some you know, it's been nine years of, of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think people understand that. Like, you don't go to therapy for six sessions. No, 100%. <laughs> it's not like you go and then next, like, in a month you're fixed. Like, it's it's always a lifelong journey, I feel like, of healing. Yeah. Yeah. And how, like, what kind of a role has therapy played for you throughout mm. all of recovery? Was Th- therapy ever present? Like, pre show and pre well jail like any of that like after parents divorced or anything like that occasionally here or there for like one session but like not something that was regular Mm -hmm. in treatment and this is why i always will advocate for long-term treatment and as Mm -hmm. a treatment provider and a treatment center owner (laughs) who 
really believes in like a holistic approach. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really stable or even ready to start dabbling into the work until I was like seven, eight months sober. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be the case for a lot of people. Like learning the tools instead of diving into the trauma Mm -hmm. i feel like first we need to learn some of the tools yeah and give ourselves like a little bit of space to stabilize Mm -hmm. and so the first seven months of my sobriety like i told my therapist about my sexual abuse Mm -hmm. i've been abused by babysitter i mean Mm. it started with that incest situation and then it was like babysitters and then at 16 i was raped by some big top guy in hollywood and Mm. just like lots of sexual trauma yeah so i started like dabbling into that a little bit Mm -hmm. um and then i did that last four months yeah i was doing group therapy oh this whole time i was doing therapy yeah i just wasn't really what ready to do the work like i would sit in there and participate but like Mm -hmm. and the narrative was always like poor me like Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like all of this shit is happening to me Mm -hmm. it's like you know there was like no willingness to like bear any responsibility And so uh, it wasn't until a couple of years into my sobriety that I started doing therapy on a regular basis. And I did a good four years straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think you're t- totally spot on there that, I mean, honestly, even in doing trauma therapy, like it's not, you don't just dive straight into mm-hmm. like the, the trauma itself or that emotional healing because you do have to learn a lot of tools first and you do have to like develop a relationship with that therapist even. Um, and especially coming out of recovery, like you kind of also are still somewhat in survival mode and you're like, how do I even just like function on a yeah, daily like, basis? I have no income, no job. <laughs> Job, no yeah. skills. I'm basically unemployable. Like, what am I going to do with yeah. my life? You know. And yeah. thankfully, the treatment center that I went to, the owner was like, "You should probably go to school." And that's when I went and I enrolled to mm-hmm. become a drug and alcohol counselor. Yeah. And you know, that was the greatest thing that I ever did. But uh, yeah, I was not mm-hmm. ready. And now I've tried everything. I've done EMDR. I've done mm-hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy. I just did, like, a little over a year ago, transcranial magnetic stimulation. Mm. That was a really cool experience. I've done, did I say neurofeedback? I've tried it all, and I love it, and I think Mm -hmm. it's great. And thank Mm. God we have these these tools Mm -hmm. and this technology now to heal. Yeah. So what, I mean, honestly, I'm, like, blown away because you do so many things. (laughs) Like you do so many things. You are a mom of two. Mm -hmm. You've been with your husband now for nine. Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. So long-term relationship. You just finished your book, are still writing your book. There's a book. Book came out. Book book, came out. Book came out in uh, early December. Book is out. Yeah. It's a lot. You own a treatment center. Mm -hmm. You... You, uh, you run a podcast. I know. For all of my you, friends who who text me and then I don't get back to them to three days later, I'm sorry. Like I'm doing my best. Yeah. Well, how do you? I mean, cheesy question, very cliche, very non-original question. But how do you balance all of that? Like, 
It's so it's so hard. It's really easy for me to go into workaholic mode too. I mean, I wasn't like I was like, don't go into therapist mode here, but I was like, yeah, like how does that play a part in your recovery? Because yeah. you're like being a busy bee, you know, is yeah. uh, can be a slippery slope into that because that is also sometimes numbing things. And when we're not putting that time aside for ourselves to like just be with ourselves and to focus on our own like care and nourishment, that's kind of like there might yeah. be things we're avoiding or trying to numb. Absolutely. Yeah. I am. It's interesting. Like the desire, the, the major shift for me in my sobriety happened when I recognized that I was no longer always trying to check out of my reality. Mm -hmm. And that's where the name recovering from reality came from. Right. Mm -hmm. I'd spent my entire life checking out, checking out, checking out. And there was a shift that happened a couple of years into my sobriety where all of a sudden I was like, I would rather be checked into life than checked Mm -hmm. out. And that's a gift. Um, and so finding balance, um, is, is still challenging though, Mm -hmm. right? Here's the thing though. Once we learn the gift of mindfulness, we know when it's too much. Yeah. The key is listening. Yes. (laughs) Like you can be aware of it, but like just brush it aside when you actually listen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or like make excuses of like, well, I'm launching a business and this is just what it takes to launch a business. It's stress. It's work. Yeah. All of the things. I'm supposed you know? to be totally like, exhausted and drained. I'm supposed to be totally exhausted <laughs> and drained. Exactly. And so, um, you know, I was telling you before you came up, before we started, that I'm taking a month and a half off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't really get off because I'm still a mom of two kids, which is a full time job in itself. Yeah. Up until, up until the end of 2018, I was a stay at home mom. Mm. And uh, life was easy to balance because my kids went off to school and a preschool and school or my baby was home and she'd nap and I'd meditate and we Mm -hmm. had this routine. And then when the fires happened, 90% of our business uh, Mm. burnt down. Oh my gosh. And so my husband was like, you have to go back to work. At that time, I was not working at the treatment center in person. Mm -hmm. I was doing stuff off site. And I was like, well, I don't really want to start going back into therapy. I, I, in counseling, I want to like, you know, start my business and he thought I was crazy. And so Mm -hmm. the last year has been really rough. Mm -hmm. I will say this, having, having all the tools that I have is great, but you have to apply them. So for me, it looks like this. I have to meditate every day. Mm-hmm. Have to, have to, have to. Right now, for everyone who wants to know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times we I get know. DMs. I'm obsessed with Joe Dispenza's work. He's mm-hmm. changed my life. His meditations were a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. Love them. So have to meditate. Um, I'm working on creating more spaciousness. I used to do like back to back to back to back. And I would just load up my schedule, especially when I was coming into LA. And then I was like, I don't feel good at the end of the day. So Mm -hmm. I need to create more space. Um, but I'm not going to lie. It's hard. Like a couple of weeks ago, I found myself crying in my room because I only saw my kids for five hours that week, Mm -hmm. you know, because I've just been so busy with the book stuff. So, you know, you have the awareness and then it's like you have to apply the knowledge mm-hmm. that you have. And I'm grateful for the girlfriends that I have that I can call and vent to. And they're yeah. like, it's okay, honey. You can mm-hmm. start again next week. Like, yeah. <laughs> rejig your schedule. Like, take some time off. So mm-hmm. um, when I do take longer periods of time off, um, 
I like to have fun. Yeah. So uh, it's my wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, and we'll, we go to Coachella every year because we love music. Mm-hmm. We don't go for all the fancy parties like yeah. everyone else. You know, people That's, don't even go to Coachella. I know. It's absurd. Like, and they honestly, just go to the parties. <laughs> what I know. the fuck? It's I'm like, crazy. I go for the music. Like, yeah. Literally I, some like my favorite artists are going to be there who <sighs> like aren't even like the headliners, you know, yeah. but the, like the super teeny tiny prints. I'm like, that's my girl. Like, I love yes. her. Like, I need to go see her. So, yes. Yeah. So, that. we're going to go and do that and mm-hmm. just have some time to unwind. Yeah. Um, I have been considering exploring, and this will be interesting to you, and people might be shocked about this mm. um, microdosing with psilocybin. Do you want to go to Jamaica with me? <laughs> Are you going to do this? Um, Are you going on an ayahuasca trip? So I might be. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I don't know that I would do it myself, but I am going like on the 13th. You should in, do it. In like a week and a half, basically. Uh, to go to Jamaica for like a plant medicine retreat mm-hmm. thing um, where they are doing it with people who have a history or are currently like clinically diagnosed mm-hmm. with some side of some sort of anxiety or depression or trauma. Yeah. Um, and they have a whole like medical team on stuff and all this stuff. So yeah. I'm going to go John check it Hopkins out. John Hopkins University right now is studying mm-hmm. the effects of psilocybin and yeah. long-term recovery. So let's talk about microdosing for a yeah. second because I think a lot of people might go that's a drag and da, da, da. which yeah. i'm so beyond that now because it's like i'm not like i can't yeah that's a whole nother podcast that yeah. we can dive well, into and frequently the same people that are saying that about that are also the ones who are like we're gonna go out for happy hour and go yeah. get some drinks and i'm like mm, okay yeah yeah um yeah, so microdosing is an interesting experience. I've tried it once, yeah. and I had a really profound experience. It yeah. is non-psychoactive. Mm-hmm. Let me repeat that. It is non-psychoactive. <laughs> You're not having a mushroom trip. Um, although if you want to have a mushroom trip, by all means. You can. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Listen, I can't tell you how many challenging cases that I've seen in our practice where the specifically that comes to mind and, you know, we'll keep, we're not going to give her name or anything, but there's mm-hmm. a challenging case of this one girl. She's been with us about six times. We've also sent her out to other places. She's overdosed. I can't even tell you how many mm-hmm. times. The chances of her achieving long-term sobriety are no. Yeah. At that point, uh, you take a harm reduction. It's effect- and we've tried harm reduction. We've mm-hmm. tried it all, you know, and it's just challenging. She's a perfect candidate to go and have the ayahuasca experience mm-hmm. and really get to the root of her, mm-hmm. you know, needs and yeah. heal. Um, so there, I do believe that there is a time and place for plant medicine. I need, I think it needs to be done with deep reverence and mm-hmm. care. I think it needs to be done by a shaman. I think, yeah. you know, the whole thing. But psilocybin, back to that, um, while I have done so much work in therapy, like I said, all mm-hmm. those different modalities, I feel like in a lot of ways I've, it's like if you can imagine a suitcase that just is like filled with papers and mm-hmm. it's just crap. And I've taken them all out, dumped out the suitcase that used to just be sitting there cluttering up my mind. I've reorganized everything. Now it's all in the manila folders. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm still carrying around a lot of manila folders, even though Mm. it's all compartmentalized and I'm ready to like shred the papers Mm -hmm. and burn it and move on. And for somebody who's experienced the amount of trauma that I've gone through, Mm -hmm. that's really hard. And we can get into like the limbic brain and prefrontal cortex and all of that another time. I hope Mm -hmm. you'll come on my podcast so we can dive more into that. But for somebody who's lived in a constant state of fight or flight for much of their life, it's really hard to Mm -hmm. like shred those papers and to let it go. And so the psilocybin in a really beautiful way from the one experience that I had, and this is the first time I've ever talked about it, and I know it's going to be controversial and mm-hmm. I'll probably get a lot of hate mail, but I don't really care because here's the thing. This is a safe, supportive If it space. brings mm-hmm. you peace, I'm all for it. And like mm-hmm. I said in the beginning, like the drugs aren't the problem, you are. So mm-hmm. what's your intention? Yeah, what's your purpose Are and your you motive? being intentional? Mm-hmm. And so the one time I did it, I went to the beach and I was like, I didn't know what to experience or what I would witness or hear or whatever. And it wasn't even that. It, like I said, there was no psychoactive effects, but there was a peace and a connectedness Mm -hmm. that I felt with my own body that I've never experienced before in my life. And I imagine that that's what it's like to live Mm as like a normal human being, if you've never experienced like the amount of trauma that, <laughs> that yeah. I have, I'm like, oh, this is much, much, yeah. you know, because the programming that I got since I was a child, my mm-hmm. subconscious programming was my body's not my own. Yeah. I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. All of these mm-hmm. things. Um, and so while I know all those things aren't true now and I've done yeah. a lot of work, it'll be interesting. So I think during this six week hiatus, um, what you do is you take it every other day hmm. for five weeks and then you stop <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and so I'm going to go and explore. I yeah. think it'll be really interesting. Um, we can talk about ayahuasca. The, the person that I know that just recently did it off this podcast cause yes. I don't want to infringe on their privacy. But um, hmm. again, from what I understand she doesn't ever show you more than you need to see. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She shows you exactly what you yeah. need to see. And it, and that can be a gift for many. Now, do I think I want to go and have an ayahuasca experience? Yeah. No. <laughs> um, yeah, the ayahuasca experience from what I have heard is much more uh, intense yes. than doing something like microdosing where it is it, it can be in some ways traumatic uh hopefully healing um but for some people like it's you have to be really really particular in the people you're with and making sure you're with a shaman um that it's really a whole intensive experience of healing that does involve like painfulness to come up that's part of that healing whereas with microdosing from what i have heard just seems like a more like you're seeing things so much clearer and yeah, it wasn't even that I'm seeing things clearer. I just felt really in tune with who I am. Yeah. The message was, you're perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, you've mm-hmm. always been. Yeah. The, the What you envision as perfection, like the middle of the Amazon, which mm-hmm. is like operating perfectly and the animals mm-hmm. and, and harmony and all that, that is you. Yeah. And I didn't, I've never felt that in my mm-hmm. life before that experience. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll do it. And yeah. what's nice about it is... 
it's very short lived. You can drive, mm-hmm. you could work, you can operate all yep. of these things. It's literally, I imagine what, and I don't take um, antidepressants, but I imagine mm-hmm. what it's like if you, you know, yeah. And I and that's not because I'm against antidepressants. It's because I literally have tried them all and none of them have worked. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I'm all mm-hmm. for like holistic healing, but there is a time and a place for yeah. for western medicine. Definitely. Uh, and so you'll do this for about 5 weeks and and I'll come back on here and report back. I'll yeah. You know and I was going to say I was going to say I mean like journaling, like you're, yeah. you just wrote a, a book, so I'm like writing can be a very healing thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I'd be curious to see like how you kind of track that and um reflect on that like kind of week by week but yeah would love to do yeah. some kind of follow-up on that too even off pod yeah curious i'll let you know how it goes yeah. yeah i'm excited um and you mentioned you know basically you've grown up your whole life being told that your body's not yours and mm-hmm. I've received several questions around this of how to reintroduce sex and sexuality mm. to your life after experiencing a sexual trauma. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit from your own personal experience of what it was like to, you know, even with meeting your husband and developing that sexual relationship and yeah. Yeah. Whatever you're comfortable with sharing. It's interesting. So I grew up in a house. My mom was a playmate. Everything was always super sexualized, focused mm-hmm. on my body. And then I was also dealing with sexual abuse. And yeah. so the the subliminal messaging was like, this is just for men yep. and for their enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was I started acting out sexually mm-hmm. because I thought that that what that's what you you're know, supposed that to do. My body was like theirs, you know, mm-hmm. um, and was taken advantage of by a lot of men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. So I've done a lot of things. The The thing that I found the most powerful mm-hmm. regarding um, um, feeling safe in sex is a, this thing called emotional freedom technique tapping. I'm not sure if you've ever heard mm-hmm. of EFT. It's oh, yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm magical thing um and that really helped me a lot um i had that work for you so it's kind of like an onion layer and you like do this tapping sequence with a practitioner and it just helps you get like it helped me i'll say get Mm -hmm. super clear on what i was comfortable with and what i wasn't comfortable Mm -hmm. with and how to set those boundaries with my partner and over, and it has not been something that's been overnight. It's taken time. But what I found is that um, I'm able, I'm, a, I'm able to get my needs met and to feel really comfortable. And this was the brilliant thing. I started being able to like explore things that I never thought that I would want to explore yeah. because all of a sudden I felt safe to do so. So, in the beginning, I'm so first and foremost. My husband is like an extreme feminist yeah. who um, is super in touch with his masculinity mm-hmm. and who loves to be a pleasure, yeah. which what You're a like, gift. thanks. That's great. <laughs> what a gift, right? And he's been so patient with me mm-hmm. and, and in our experience, especially after giving birth, which can be a really traumatic experience for women who have overcome sexual abuse. And actually I'm a doula, birth doula. So I, of course you are my goodness. (laughs) Let me add that to the the list. list. I actually just attended another birth like a week and a half ago. Um, for women who have overcome sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. 
so it started with a conversation of like, I don't like kissing when we have sex. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel like I can't breathe. I don't Mm -hmm. feel safe. It sends me into like a place of kind of like shock Mm -hmm. feeling. I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, And he was like, okay, we don't have to kiss during sex. Like no big deal. Like it started with these small conversations. Mm -hmm. And what I found was the safer that I felt with him, the more I was willing to like reopen up Mm -hmm. to those things. And some things were just like a solid no for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've been willing to like explore, which is such a wonderful thing. Um, A lot of, you know, and not to get too graphic, but a lot of my... totally free to be graphic on here. (laughs) My abuser, one of the experiences I had was when I was five, Mm -hmm. we were in a hotel room and he bent me over the bed Mm. and was masturbating really aggressively against my butt. He Mm -hmm. pulled my underwear down and um, it traumatized me, Mm -hmm. obviously. And he like ejaculated all over my Mm -hmm. legs. And I just remember like the feeling of the semen dripping down. And I remember saying no. And he was like pinning my back down. And sorry if this is triggering anybody Mm -hmm. like yeah, maybe instead of graphic, like trigger, trigger warning. Trigger warning. <laughs> yes. Put that in your intro. Yes. Um, so I had a really weird thing with mm-hmm. like his dick near my butt. Like yeah. that was like a no. Like mm-hmm. even just like don't even touch it near like no well, doggy even just style. From, yeah, I was like, going to say from ne- behind. Like so that that not, none of it. Mm-hmm. But slowly but truly over time, like I felt safe enough to try to explore those things again. Yeah. And so he let me lead the way. So I would mm-hmm. call out things that like maybe felt safe. And sometimes I'd be like, great. And then sometimes I'd be like this, I'm too in my head for this. And like, yeah. I actually can't do this. Yeah. And so it's about just having that communication of like, I've mm-hmm. been abused and I need to feel safe with you. And thankfully my husband's been so amazing about it. But now it's like doggy style is one of my favorite things. <laughs> like we get down. Like I love it. Bend me over the bed. Like I don't care. But there, yeah. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It is. But that's opening time to get those there. lines. Years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Years. Yeah. Of my poor husband either having missionary or me on top. That was it. <laughs> the poor guy. <laughs> well, hey, he was still able to connect with you and share like yes, an emotional and physical I think experience. Too. So. Thank God for sobriety because I've done, we've only had sex sober, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. so I've really been in tune with um, my body and my needs. Mm-hmm. I think for a long time I would get loaded just to have sex. Yeah. And I think that's quite common, even mm-hmm. for people who do not have uh, substance abuse issues, or at least they don't think that they do. Or sexual um, trauma or whatever. They're just, yes. they feel like they have to have two mm-hmm. glasses of wine before they get into bed. A hundred percent. And it's always, it's so strange. Yeah. You actually, I'm sober. You know, I, I didn't we know didn't, that. <laughs> we didn't okay. talk about this yet. Um, but yeah, I like, I have never had sex with a partner when they've been drunk. I'm just like, I won't do it. Like I don't, that doesn't sound appealing to me to have sex with you while you're drunk. Um, like you can have you know a glass of wine at yeah, dinner like and all sex with you that's thing, one like thing but a small mild buzz is one thing but like yeah. drunk then it's just like sloppy and oh and yeah. then you just feel like you're being used yeah and yeah. which like sometimes is a vibe yeah um, <laughs> sometimes i'm like use me yeah um but yeah not not in that way and yeah i i think the 
the soberness, first of all, the sober lifestyle in general. I have a questions on for you. A lot of people ask me questions of, you know, how you go out mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, but also even sexually and, and in dating, um, you were sober when you met your husband? And yeah, then- we met in AA, okay. which I know yeah. is like so fucking taboo. We met in AA. Are we you supposed friends- to be single the first year? Yeah, well, we weren't. The first couple of months, we were just friends. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we <laughs> got married eight months later. But it worked yeah. for us. And yeah. we're a miracle. Like, mm-hmm. I, there is... I found my person. I knew mm-hmm. my first date with him that I found my person. He did too, and then he dumped me two oh. dates later because no. he knew he knew he was scared. He was thirty five. Yeah, he had been through so many relationships. His mom committed suicide when he was fourteen. Mm. He had just been through so much divorce, parents, the whole thing. Yeah. And so I think he got a little bit scared. Yeah. He was like, I'm not ready yet. I have more yeah, healing yeah, to like, do, more... but I still love you and but, I want to pick yeah, this back up. But then he was like, but what am I talking about? I'm five years sober. So he was already five years sober okay. at that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's worked for us in a really beautiful way. And like, we are the exception, you know what I mean? To the rule. Mm-hmm. And so I always say to people, the key is this, like, there is no, like, you complete me. You have to be two complete people. 100%. That's what, that's what that's it my is. Thing. I'm like, <laughs> we're not, like, yeah. fulfilling each you other's can have puzzle. Issues. Like, you're yeah. your own puzzle. You can have level. issues. You have to be willing to work on them yeah. and meet me 100% mm-hmm. effort in this marriage and yeah. me too. Mm-hmm. And, or relationship. Yeah, it's not a 50-50. It's, it's 100%. No, it's 100 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. And um, I always talk about my rule of five. And so if I hold my hand out, like my first priority mm-hmm. has to be myself and my spiritual practice. Second is my marriage. Mm-hmm. Third is my kids. And people yep. are always like, what, what? No, agreed. I'll tell you yep. why. Because if I don't take care of myself, then my marriage fails. If I don't take care of my marriage, my children suffer. Mm-hmm. Then after my children is my work. And then after my work is my like play fun stuff. So that's yeah. my rule of five. And if any of those things fall out of order, I'm fucked. Yeah. I'm fucked. I can start feeling it in my relationship or I feel it in my relationship with my children mm-hmm. or my stress at home. And then I start feeling it at work because I'm not able to be clear headed at work because yeah. I'm so focused on what's going on at home. Mm-hmm. And I'll, you know what I mean? It's like a ripple effect. Yeah. And so I always tell people like you have to be your first mm-hmm. priority and that does doesn't make you selfish. No, at all. all. Mm -mm. So uh, first of all, you said the last thing is play Mm -hmm. and fun. Mm -hmm. And you already seem like such a blast. I'm like, okay, (laughs) so like, when are we hanging out next? Um, But one of the things I've, I've talked a little bit about on Instagram, but uh, people are really curious about like living a sober lifestyle, like how to, you know, just recognizing patterns within their own alcohol usage, um, wanting to feel better, wanting to just overall have a healthier lifestyle. Um, And I'm curious for you if there's any kind of tips or practices that you would share around your socializing that, you know, have helped make you still be like a fun person that enjoys going out and and socializing and having a fun, fun time, but sober. It's interesting because I'm actually an introvert, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, but I need that time. I need that time with my girlfriends and I need to do those things that like Mm -hmm. make my heart sing. Um, I think people think that, oh God, you're going to have such a boring life. I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, 
It's in like, sobriety, my very best friend is married to a Backstreet Boy, so we like have tons of fun. Like, w- I mean, like amazing. I, like, I my point is this: I dance. We're with in them. Vegas. We're <laughs> <laughs> we're in Vegas. We're at the Staples Center. We're p- taking our kids to Cabo. We're mm. at you know Artist Passes Coachella. We still get the LA mm. glitzy, glammy yeah. life. And now I get that that's a privilege because I live in LA. Mm-hmm. But my point is that. Um, you just have to put yourself out there. All of that exists. Like yeah. my life, like once the show ended and I worked past all my shame stuff and I started developing relationships again um, and I started going out into the world again because mm-hmm. spending a year at rehab, like you don't go in the world. Yeah, no. <laughs> you like no. Rehab. <laughs> um, was being willing to like go up to people and say, hey, and like mm-hmm. learning about people. Yeah. Oh my God. How nice is it to like ask people questions and to really understand them. And it's Mm -hmm. led to some of the best. And like, that's what podcasting is all about, right? Like Mm -hmm. having these in-depth conversations. So fun. Yeah. So my life is far from boring. It's exciting. It's fun. Um, I still have lots of my like LA girlfriends and we do very LA things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you just have to be willing to like, move into the space a little bit Mm -hmm. and to also know when those spaces aren't safe. Like it was Mm -hmm. not safe for me to go to a bar or a club before I had a couple years sober. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't without a sober friend. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting now because I run into a lot of friends when we're in these concert environments Mm -hmm. that are sober and um, you know, they have their like sober posse when they're newly sober and Mm -hmm. they need that. Um, and so that's really just such a great thing and such a gift. I, my husband's a big fan of the Grateful Dead. I know that really ages Mm -hmm. him, but you know, they have AA meetings at every concert during the break. No way. Isn't that so fucking cool? And so we're starting to see these like communities of people Mm -hmm. who are rallying around, who are willing to have sober fun. Like if you want to go skydiving, but you only wanted to go because you were drunk, like, then yeah. you didn't really want to go skydiving. Yep. And so I think a lot of people associate with, like, those crazy fun mm-hmm. things yeah. with that. But I'll tell you, the best times that I've ever had in my life are, like, going to Mexico sober mm-hmm. and riding on the jet skis and, like, mm-hmm. doing all of the things and really experiencing the whole thing yeah. because I'm alert and present for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fun. Go yeah. ziplining sober. It's a real thrill. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. a big part it's a real of rush. <laughs> oh yeah. I think a, a big part of, you know, substance abuse treatment is new people, places and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just finding like those new hobbies, finding those different things to do. Like if your whole lifestyle is going out for happy hour to get a few drinks before you then go out to the bars, it's like, yeah, you, as a sober person, you could maybe go out and do those things and be getting mocktails the whole night. But like you like, are going to want to switch it up and have some other activities in your life. I mean, you've got to find your vibe. So like my girlfriend, Ariel and I, like my friend Sahara just announced this, um, trip with Deepak Chopra in Mexico, Mm -hmm. a wellness retreat for five days. And we're like, sign us the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like we'll be there and we'll be having so much fun with our mocktails, you know, twerking our asses Mm -hmm. off on the beach. You'll find us there. Yep. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) Yeah. Do you find, do you have a favorite mocktail? Um, I don't really do mocktails. So I, it's like, you'll, of course I'll have like the occasional virgin pina colada on vacation (laughs) just because I want sugar really. (laughs) 
Uh, no, but like club soda and lime is like mm-hmm. where it's at for me. Like that's yeah. I drink mineral water, like yep. carbonated mineral water all day long with lime yeah. and um. And I just, I don't find it to be awkward. I'll tell you, I go to like lots of launch parties. Tonight mm-hmm. I'm going to that Kristen Cavallari party. Yeah. Everyone's going to be drinking mm-hmm. and whatever. And I just never find it uncomfortable. Yeah. And if anything, I I feel like um, most people don't even notice. I agree. I think most of the times when people Especially feel... Especially if they're drunk. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, sometimes they might be like, what are you drinking, water? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. And then they're like, oh. Well, you want to drink? I'm like, no. Um, But I do think that like when you come at it from a place of being really confident in your pursuit in life, when you become really confident with your values, with your desires, where you're at in your life, and you're not Mm -hmm. still in that that place of like kind of questioning yourself, like when you have purpose and you can stand in that truth, I think these kinds of things become less uncomfortable for you. And I think uh, you feel less insecure in them. Like I hear from a lot of people that are like, you know, oh, like I always feel embarrassed asking the bartender for a mocktail. And it's like, if you're really owning your truth and if you're really standing in that and you're like, yeah. you've, you've come to peace with it and you feel confident in it because if someone asks you why you're sober or why you're not drinking, you have like a, you know, bullet point list of like, these are the reasons why I don't. And yeah. like, I feel secure in that. And like, I'm good or in that. Or you can just say that you're like, um, what's that term that we used to use in high school? It starts with an S. That uh, you're, you know. Sober Sally? No. <laughs> I'll think of the word. <laughs> We're like, you don't have sex and you're. Oh, you're like straight edge. Straight edge. Yeah. You just be like, no, I'm like a straight edge. Whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't even tell people. Literally, I walk up to the bar and I'm like, I'll yeah. have a club soda and lime and I slip them a 20. And like, nobody knows. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like what it's about. Um, I'll also say that when my girlfriends who do drink, I have a lot of friends that Mm -hmm. drink wine on a regular basis and I'll go over to their house and I'll bring my kombucha and Mm -hmm. I'll pour it in a wine glass and sit down next to them. And I feel like I'm getting the whole experience. I do the same thing. I'm not even going (laughs) to lie. I do the same thing. I'll get some kombucha or I'll do like an apple cider vinegar tonic and I'll be like, put that shit in a fancy wine glass. Exactly. (laughs) I'm here for it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, I think, I think we are starting to see more people shift to this. And I think the more that like people like you and, and even myself who share our experiences in this and are able to just really be like strong in that, uh, helps also like encourage other people to be like, Oh yeah, it's actually not as uncomfortable because like I heard so-and-so talk about how they don't drink either. And, um, it's, I don't know. It's, I, I hope that we see more people move towards it because it is such a problem. um, The sober curious movement. And Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. Like when I go to listen and I don't, I'm not judging anybody's use, Mm -hmm. but on the first day of school drop off, when I go to my local coffee shop, which is right next to the school and they're serving um, champagne mimosas at 8.15 a.m. for the mommosa happy hour because... Summer's over and our kids are back in school. It's like, that's a problem. Yeah. When you're so miserable that you have to go and get yeah. a buzz on at 8.15 a.m., like, that's a problem, you know? Yeah, but see, it's so it's so marketed. I actually got... Towards moms? It, well, and women. in general. Yeah. Even when I look at, like, the Bachelor franchise itself, I'm like, my God, I could go on a whole rant about mm-hmm. this. But even I received a whole thing of wine from this company. Don't know why they sent it to me. I was like, this is not Were a good... Were you sober on the show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um. Yeah. 
the last time I, I only drank when I was 12 and I had like half of a Mike's Hard Lemonade when I was 17 for my girlfriend's 18th birthday. It was like the one thing she really wanted me to do. And I like had a few sips you of You just don't like the like, feeling? No, I mean, I didn't like the taste of it, A. I didn't like the feeling that I was like getting out of control. I didn't like, I'm already a pretty physically weak person. And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be putting myself at more risk of like being in vulnerable situations where someone could take advantage of me. That was like a fear of mine. Um, and... I then saw my friends get into really bad, shitty situations where I was like, I don't think we should be in this situation right now. And like, you're fucking wasted. And like, if I was wasted right now too, like who knows what would happen to us. And then seeing my family members pass away from cirrhosis and getting cancer from chain smoking cigarettes and all these things where I was like, this is so preventable. And like, do I really need to do this? Like, I don't, there's not really a need for me to be doing this. It's going to make me feel like shit. Then I'm spending money on this, which is like stupid. And then I'm like, I'm not even remembering things or I'll get in trouble or I'll get sick. Um, And I just didn't, I, I preferred smoking weed at the time. I was Mm -hmm. like, this feels much better. And it's like a plant. So I like that part. Um, I felt more in control of that as well. And I was like, I didn't like this feeling that I was going to be totally out of control. And I was like, anything that I feel like I have to take a drink for to do, right? Like if I was going to, you know, in high school, if I was going to have a threesome, like I, did I need to like take a bunch of shots before doing that? And I'd be like, or even to go talk to a, a hot guy at a bar, right? And I'd be like, I don't want to feel like I have to take a drink in order to do these things because I would rather like challenge myself to find the courage and feel empowered exactly. in myself to be like, and yeah, then it becomes you know easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then it becomes easy. And even now I find myself like I went to New York a couple mm-hmm. days ago. I just got back and I rode the subway all by myself because yeah. I wanted to have that experience. And I was like, I used, I would have had to like get loaded to do this mm-hmm. before to have the bravery to like switch subways and figure it yeah. out and whatever else. And while I was on, I was looking at all these hot investment guys, like smiling, <laughs> like making eye contact. Like I would have never had the yeah. confidence to do that before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and my husband knows about that guy. So like, don't DM him. <laughs> it's okay. He's you're you're allowed to be attracted to other people. <laughs> yeah. And he is too. You know yes. what's interesting? You guys are a very hot couple as well. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's really interesting because I'm bisexual. Yeah. This is something that I think is really so cool about my husband and I've never taken him up on this yeah. I'm saving it for Ruby Rose no. <laughs> but he I mean, always that's a good says one. to me he goes honey like if if I'm not meeting your needs sexually like feel free to like go and find a girl and I was like that's what a so much about the fact like how confident you are in yourself and in our yeah. marriage and while personally like I don't feel the desire to yeah. do that uh thanks for like letting me have the option and i would feel the same way like if he was bisexual i don't you know i think that that's much more taboo to talk about for Mm -hmm. some reason which is still really unfortunate Mm -hmm. um like i'm sure that there's a large population of bisexual men out there that just totally deny the fact that they're bisexual definitely definitely there's definitely like a, a spectrum there that i think men are way less empowered and encouraged and even feel allowed to have the space mm-hmm. to explore. Whereas with women, I mean, it's worse. Our sexuality is so like over-sexualized and even just like us being bisexual is encouraged in some ways because that's, yeah. a, that's even more it's sexy. and yeah. sexier. Yeah, exactly. it's weird. But like if you're a guy who's bi, all of a sudden yeah. that's, you're gay that's and that's just gross. Gay. Like, yeah. 
no. It's like it reminds me of doing like the one drop rule. Like if if you're even half black, you're full black. Like that's like very much like a one drop mm. rule kind of uh, a, a application to that. Is that the right word? I don't know. Um, but I'm curious then, have you guys, do you guys have conversations around like monogamy? Yeah. So um, we're... We've been in and are currently in yeah. a monogamous relationship. Yeah. I, we've talked about bringing other people into our relationship. Yeah. And here's the thing. It's like in we, when we got married, like I made a commitment. First mm-hmm. of all, we made a commitment that we were never going to get divorced. Yeah. That has not been easy. Like we're mm-hmm. working through some stuff right now that is dark yeah. and rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we love the fuck out of each other and we're each yeah. other's best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just stress and work stuff on his end, not so much mine. And mm-hmm. he's really, you know, picking it up right now with yeah. the <laughs> I love you's and I'm sorry and sweet texts and all that. And I love that. Yeah. Um, so he's wor- we're working on it. But um, no, I have not ever felt the desire. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's never expressed the desire. Here's the thing. To be when my husband, Yeah, to be non-monogamous. Yeah. My husband got married to me. I was 20, so I hadn't had very many relationships. Yeah. And he was 35. Mm-hmm. And so he's basically like, I've had sex with, I mean, so many, I mean, yeah. prostitutes. Like, I've paid for <laughs> yeah. sex so many times. Like, I don't need to have sex with anyone else yeah. but you forever. And he's yeah. like, you're like the sexiest woman in the world to me. Like, I can't imagine having sex with anyone else. Yeah. Like, and I'm sure, I mean he watches porn and I'm sure that's like mm-hmm. a great like way for his mind to like, yeah. you know, imagine or whatever. Fantasize. But he's just like, mm-hmm. first of all, I don't need to have sex as much as I did. He's 45 now. Yeah. Back in the day when I was a 30 year old dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I love you. And like, when I do have mm-hmm. sex, I just want to have sex with you. Mm-hmm. And so that works for us. The bisexuality on my end is more so like of, me not getting a need met like mm-hmm. i am very yeah. attracted to women mm-hmm. that's something that i denied about myself for a long time so i'd yeah. i had sex with girls before i had sex with guys same yeah like i feel yeah. i've always felt more comfortable having sex with women mm-hmm. i've always felt really attracted to women yeah. and so he's like if that needs not being met i mm-hmm. want to respect that and yeah. if you want to go out and like hook up with a girl like I honestly have no problem with that it's just not something that I felt like has been really a priority or mm-hmm. something that I need well yeah mm-hmm. you're a doula you're I, a book you got a things. company I you know. got a podcast so we'll see like we'll see if that ever comes up but as mm-hmm. of right now um you know we just have sex with ourselves or each yeah. other yeah yeah <laughs> has that, that been works? a conversation of like for you uh, with being bisexual and not having that need met, is that something that you're wanting to exclusively experience or would that be like an inclusion type of experience? Exclusive. Yeah. yeah. He's like, if that's something you want, of course, if I was like, I'm going to bring a girl home, come and watch. Like he yeah. would be like, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. 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 But that's but something that like you're wanting to experience like exclusively. If, yeah. I feel like if mm-hmm. I was going to have that experience, it'd be yeah. something that I, that I would want to have mm-hmm. on my own. Yeah. Um, but you know what? He really fulfills, like I said, he's a very generous partner and mm-hmm. he, he prioritizes me. Like he yeah. will not have an orgasm before I've had an orgasm. Like what he is very, <laughs> yes. And he, no, he like loves to go down on yeah. me. Like there's all of these things that just, 
Let's just wait for this. Yeah. Fire truck. We are in <laughs> the W Hollywoods. Yes. We are right on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's a very generous partner. And like, mm-hmm. honestly, all of my sexual needs have been met. Like, have yeah. there been times that I've seen a hot girl and been like, oh, she'd be fun to like make out with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's just like not been something, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that I've like tr- like actively sought mm-hmm. out, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, but I, like, sense. miss... I used to love going to West Hollywood. I used to, like, love... What's going in West to, Hollywood? It's all the gays. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all, the whole gay community. You'll have to go down there. It's, like, rainbow everywhere. Like, rainbow lights. Like, rainbow... Oh. Everything yeah, is I've rainbow. Yeah, I've never been over there. It's really fun. Mm. It's so, so fun. Um, but, yeah, I used to love that experience. Mm-hmm. And it's just... I think, too, like, as a mom now... It's just, like, I'm tired. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, That's I'm very tired. valid. <laughs> yeah. But it's um, not like, again, play is your f- number five. It's my number five. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, which is still a priority. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And and play two for me looks, I have a Four Seasons next to my house. So I like book a massage at the Four Seasons yeah. with my girlfriend. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? That's that's Treat it too. yourself. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um are there is there anything that I mean there's a lot but like is there anything else that's coming up for you that like people should necessarily look out for or that you want to share that you're working on? Um no, I just launched my online course which I'm really excited mm, about. Okay. It's called the Life Reset program. It's basically everybody who's DM'd me over the years, like, how do you do it? How mm-hmm. do you obtain long-term sobriety? And so it's, like, mm-hmm. subconscious reprogramming and all of that, all the way okay. up to, like, manifestation. Um, and I'm really stoked about that. But the biggest thing that I just want to say is that, like, you're so worthy. Like I said before, like, the Alexis who was out there, like, as a heroin addict was just as worthy of, like, love and respect mm-hmm. as the Alexis that is here standing in front of you to... Or, listening that you're listening to today (laughs) and you're so worthy of that too like you're not broken you're not damaged like you're perfect you know and if you need help with drugs or alcohol reach out to me like I live in my dms I'm always there for people if we can't take you at our center I'll find you a place to go like Mm. I will fight until like we figure it out whether that's a county bed, which we hope that that won't be the situation, mm-hmm, <laughs> or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a network facility. Like, we really, yeah. really work hard to get you access because, first of all, I know how hard it is to reach out. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's just so much shadiness that's happening in the business right now with Definitely. patient brokering and all. Oh, my God. You just need to know, like, the yeah. safest place to go. So Even just the treatment centers in general, I feel like. Because oh you got John Oliver did a fantastic oh my God. piece yes. on it. And I was yes. like, oh. yeah. I won't say who, but someone really close with me um, recently worked uh, with the FBI to shut down five centers in Malibu Wow! because we're just so sick of it. It's tarnishing our name. Yep. We're the only treatment center that's advocating for more regulation. Mm -hmm. We're like, we need more. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're JCO accredited, which is hospital level Mm -hmm. accreditation at our facility. And we're like, still, we need more. Mm -hmm. So while we have 24 hour nurses and all of us, not all places do. And so you just really need to know that you're going to a facility Mm -hmm. that's safe. Yeah, and a, facil- yeah. a facility that's, like, guaranteeing your sobriety, like, that I feel like is a major red flag of, like, you're going to come mm-hmm. to our six-week program and you yeah. will be 
cured afterwards yep. is, is like no. it, it's total no. bullshit um yeah. we're really lucky you know and this is just our in-house statistics most treatment centers have like an 18 to 20 percent success mm-hmm. rate we're about 52 percent which yeah. is pretty amazing mm-hmm. but um i believe that's because the vast majority of our patients stay with us for six months to a year and yeah. we believe in um we, our whole model is based on our slogan, which is connection, not control. And Mm -hmm. so it's about forming these deep, beautiful relationships Mm -hmm. and then working through the trauma. You know what I mean? Like I said, building up that toolbox and then getting to the root. Yeah. That's amazing. And what was the name of the center again? Allo House. House. Yeah, Yeah, Allo House Recovery Centers. But like I said, you guys can always DM me or message Mm -hmm. me if you need help or you have a loved one that needs help or you just don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, and Instagram is at Alexis Haynes. At it's Alexis Haynes. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm like, we're going to keep talking. I have yes. so many other questions. Um, and then I'll be on your podcast next time I come down. Yeah. And so uh, you all can also be sure to check out her podcast as well. Um, but thank you so much. This was amazing. Thanks for having me. It was yeah. great. Thank you. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right, and, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast um, and, again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or experience please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com and i'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh breaking down these stigmas so thank you all so 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 much i hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and i'll talk to you next time When you download the Kroger app, you have easy access to savings every day. Shop weekly sales and get personalized coupons to get the most value out of every trip, every time, whether you shop in-store or online. Download the Kroger app now to save big. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Must have a digital account to redeem offers. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 